Thank you for downloading our podcast. Make sure you subscribe to get new ones every week. And don't forget to check out First United Methodist Sweetwater's website and social media. Now, here is Pastor Ryan Strebeck. I'm not sure where I first heard the reference to bread as money or covering more areas of life than just something you would eat, you know, physical food. Uh, It might have been when my dad was trying to teach me how to play golf and what does every young kid want to do when they're practicing golf? They want to get the biggest club in the bag and they want to smash the ball to kingdom come. And that's what we want to do with 99% of our practice balls. And what do you hear your coach or your dad or mom always telling you? In my case, it was son, you drive for show, you putt for dough, right? (laughs) If you want to get better at golf, go get your tail on the putting green, and that's where the money's made. You know, that's where it's at. Of course, I would say now, Dad, I'm like, I don't know. I watch these guys, these Bryson DeChambeau and these guys. They seem to be doing pretty well with their drivers. But anyways, the the concept applies. The short game is where you make up your shots, not the uh, the driving range. So, Or it might have been the Towns Van Zant song uh, that is so beloved. You know, uh, the day they laid poor Poncho low, lefty split for Ohio. And where he got the bread to go, there ain't nobody knows. I was going to sing that for you, but I spared you. Um, So this idea of bread, you know, bread in this sense of the word, it represents what we most need in life. Like what we most need to get by. Like where did lefty get what he needed to make the trip? Bread is what we work and clamor for every single day. Bread is what we lie awake at night worried about. Bread is what we wake up in the morning focused on. And this got me thinking, where do we, as a church, as followers of Jesus, where do we get the bread to go? Where do we get the bread to go? And so Jesus answers this burning question in the passage that was read for us this morning. While he's teaching in the synagogue... Uh, he's, he's got this lengthy discourse where he's teaching in the synagogue, and John records it in chapter 6 of his gospel. And it's a very long reading. It's a very uh, in-depth and argumentative kind of conversation that unpacks all kinds of stuff. He's opening minds. He's inviting the way Jesus always does. He's gracious, and he's sharp, and he's trying to bring people in the proper way. He's introducing himself and where he is, uh, who he is to them. And so... Uh, the crowd has followed Jesus to the other side of the sea. You'll remember the feeding of the 5,000 men and, and their families. And then Jesus flees because they're trying to make him king, as you heard about last week. And he retreats to the mountains. And so he's kind of taking on this vocation as the second Moses. And people are starting to wonder about that and pick up on that. And so after he flees to the mountains and then he proceeds to walk on water, where he joins his disciples on their frightening journey across the Sea of Tiberias, he's, he's, he joins them. And so, of course, the crowd has been watching and they've been riding around in their boats, you know and they, they kind of see, they're like, okay, Jesus, well, how did you make it over here? You know, we saw your disciples, but we didn't see you, and they're trying to put it all together, and so the crowd has their questions, just like we have our questions. They say, Rabbi, when did you get here? <laughs> how did you make it? You know, what flight were you on? Because we were in the airport, and we didn't see you, and saw your disciples get the flight before. Nobody went out of here, so we want to know what's going on, and Jesus kind of gets right to the point, and he says, well, actually, I'm going to tell you, you guys are seeking me, you're looking for me, and that's great, but you're not looking for me because you saw what you were supposed to see, 
but you're looking for me because your bellies were full and you ate well the other day, right? You, you, you came because you ate your fill of the loaves. And don't you love the crowd here? I mean, don't you love the interaction of the crowd? It's easy to get high and mighty when you read about the crowd. And my God, like, ah, oh, that just silly, unbelieving crowd, you know? But the crowd represents the hunger that we all experience. I mean, the crowd represents the longing for bread. And also, the crowd, of course, represents the sinful, self-preserving aspects of human nature. Because we, like the crowd, are fickle, you know? We want one thing today, but we change our mind, and we want something else tomorrow. And then we ask for something, and we get it, and we change our mind, we ask for something else, you know, the next day. We can't make up our mind. And so, Jesus points out to the crowd, and he points out to us, the reason that they are following and searching, and the significance of what they and what we may have missed in the feeding of the multitudes. And so Jesus begins to point to the alternative, to seeing Jesus for who he is. Uh, John beautifully does this throughout his gospel. Uh, After his first miracle, you remember at the wedding of Cana, there's this great little summary statement after the miracle and the thing's over, and John tells us it was after that miracle, that sign, that was the first of his signs, and Jesus' disciples believed in him, which was a huge deal. You know, they were following, they were curious like us, but they, that's when they locked in, and they said, okay, this guy's, something's different, and this guy's worth our lives. He's worth us leaving our jobs and our families for a little while, and we're, here we are. So, um, you know, that's, that's what Jesus is unfolding. And, and along the way, and you remember the woman at the well, and then there's a, a, an inquiring ruler who, you know, has Jesus heal someone in his family, and so then he believes by seeing the sign. So this crowd represents the group that a sign was performed on their behalf, and they haven't turned the corner yet. They haven't taken the sign and said, oh, that sign was meant to lead me to believe and to put my trust in this Jesus. Uh, they still are kind of going, yeah, I don't know. We, we saw that, but we... We're still curious. We want more. And so Jesus just jumps right in and he says, don't work for food that perishes. So you just ate your fill of the bread, but don't work for that kind of bread. Don't work for the food that perishes. And I just imagine at this point in the text, you know, I start to imagine, I invite you to reflect. Think of all the things that we possess, all the things in our lives that represent our ability to earn bread. Uh, you know, I was going to bring a, a, a framing square up here, or we might bring a college diploma. We might bring a, a high school transcript. We might bring something that reminds us of things that were taught by a mentor. We might bring a, a certification that we got from a training where we learned how to weld and where we could do it in a way that, that you know, made things safe that we were going to work on and we, made us marketable. It may be, uh, I don't know, all kinds of things that we've learned that make us marketable, that make us able to earn our bread, to get up and go to work each day, raise our families, do the thing that we do. Um, I see all that, you know, the work ethic that we got, the tools that we have, the bank balances, the savvy that we pick up along the way, our retirement accounts. And then I hear Jesus say, don't work for food that goes away. But, he says, work for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Jesus says when we've earned all the bread that we can earn and there's no more bread to earn and we've acquired everything that we set out to acquire, Jesus reminds us that we'll still be hungry. We can 
stockpile all the bread in the world and we could still starve. Because there's such a thing, Jesus says, as an enduring hunger. There's an enduring primal hunger. And can you begin to hear the echoes of grace in Jesus' words? Obviously, he doesn't want them to stop working for their literal bread. He doesn't want them to quit their jobs or quit fishing. He's not saying that it's gonna, every day is going to be like this. You're just going to have, you know, food's just going to fall on your doorstep and you, you don't have to go to work anymore. But he's saying, don't put all your energy into working for bread and think that that's all that there is. Pay attention to the deeper, enduring hunger that's inside of you, the desire to live well, and in fact, the desire in all of us to live forever. And so then they're interested again, and they say, okay, uh, what must we do then to be doing the works of God? So Jesus says, don't focus too much on this, but instead, you know, work for the food that endures. And they said, okay, show us where to where do we sign up? Where's the sign-up sheet? Uh, how do we volunteer? How do we work? What do we do? And they're thinking like us. They're thinking, I work every day to earn my bread. I'm smart. I work hard. I've figured it out. I raise my kids. We raise our grandkids. We do whatever we're doing, and we're sharp, and we can make this happen. You may think of the old SNL character, you know, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and gosh darn it, people like me. I mean, you know, I kind of got this thing figured out, that things are going in my direction. And so this guy is telling me to put that kind of effort into working for God. So it's like, okay, great. I'm going to put on my work gloves, God, and you tell me what to do, and I'll, I'll be your A-plus student. I'll work for that food too. And so, you know, then we're ready. We're like, where do we, where, what do we do? What do we have to accomplish to get in on this enduring food? And it makes sense because that's how our bread comes to us every day of the week. And Jesus answers them with this shocking statement. He says, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. This is the work of God, that you believe in the one that God has sent. So all of a sudden, there's a, an entirely new economy that is being rolled out before the crowd. That if we work with believing, if we lean the weight of our Selves, our whole self into something that we trust. If we take the, the one that was sent from God and we lean our weight and our trust and our life into this person, then that is the work of God. And we discover that God is working all the while. And that's the grace of the whole thing. God is drawing us from the beginning. God created us. God is inviting our belief and he's fulfilling the promise in the midst of our belief of life, an eternal life that begins now while we live in this mortal body and a life that continues forever and ever. Amen. And so, uh, you know, G Jesus offers this startling statement. And, and of course, we're sitting in church here and we've come through the waters of baptism. We've signed up, so we get it. We're like, yeah, you can't earn the grace of God. You can't you know, work your way into the presence of Jesus, that's a gift. So you have to believe, you have to trust. So we, we get that. We've heard it a thousand times. Now, sometimes we forget. Sometimes I live like that's not true. Sometimes I live like I can earn the grace of God and I work really hard at it. And then I realize, oh, I'm missing the point of grace. But we know that. But just think, imagine the crowd, they're sitting there going, what? 
You just told us we could work for, you know, we could do the work of God and have enduring food. Give us the food already. Tell us where to work. And Jesus says, you can believe in the one that God sent. And so they're scratching their heads and they go, okay, well, if we're going to put our whole weight on this person that God has sent, and if that person happens to be you, I mean, we see that you're the new Moses and everything, or that you're claiming to be, but you're going to have to do better than the feeding of the 5,000. We need another sign, right? I mean, they're like, the crowd is so fickle. They're like, as they're like, no, show me more. Show me more. We need to see more. What are you going to do for us? Where's the song and dance today, Jesus? And so they just lay it out there. What work do you perform? And then they do this great thing. They say, our fathers, our ancestors, ate manna in the wilderness, need we remind you. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So I just chuckle when I read this because I think this is the point in the lecture where you sort of quote the textbook back to your professor. You know, you're sitting in class and you're like, uh, you say, professor, on page 34, actually, that this. And I just imagine the whole crowd like, hey, you know, don't you remember that we come from a people? Moses fed us in the wilderness with this whole manna thing, and they're quoting scripture back to the rabbi. And uh, Jesus is very gracious. But they're slow to take Jesus at his word. They're slow to recognize, and they're asking for a better sign. And I think we can hear a little desperation in their voices. Or maybe I just notice a little desperation in my voice. That's what Moses did for our people in the wilderness. But what about my wilderness? What about our wilderness as a crowd? What about our wilderness as Texans in the United States in 2021? What about our wilderness, Jesus? What are you going to do about that? We've read about our ancestors and what God gave them, what Moses gave them. But what are you going to do for us today? Moses came through for us. What are you prepared to do? I think it's natural to not recognize God's provision at first. Very often, God is making provisions for us, and we just flat out miss it. I'm speaking from great experience here. And I didn't remember this about the manna story, but you know when God gives manna to the people of Israel when they're hungry in the wilderness and they're complaining, when he first gives them manna, you know, they eat well on protein, uh, at night, the quail come and they eat a good meal. And the next morning they wake up and there's this flaky stuff all over the ground. And they don't know what it is. I mean, Moses told them, God told them they're going to have manna. And they could go collect it. And they look at it and they don't know what it is. They're expecting something to eat. And they look at it and they don't see it. They're like, yeah, we're waiting for bread. And uh, all we see is that flaky stuff. They go out there, though, of course. They begin the work of believing and they start gathering up the flaky stuff, and they realize, oh, this is good for us to eat. This will sustain us. So I think it's normal when we don't recognize provision, and that first step towards the stuff you don't recognize sometimes is the hardest. And so Jesus kind of brings them back into the present moment. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, it wasn't Moses, after all, who gave you the bread from heaven but my father, and he's a great teacher, so what he does, he says, it wasn't Moses back then that gave you the bread, but it is my father today who gives you bread. Isn't that great? It wasn't what happened yesterday, but it's what God is doing today, and he gives you true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. 
Jesus is so skillful in his invitation and his authority to call us to a shift. It's not Moses who gave, but it's my Father who gives. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. So they, they, they're, they're leaning in a little more. They're, they're indicating with their words that they're ready. They want this bread. They still want the enduring bread. But we know from a few verses later, they're still not willing to believe. They're still not willing to lean hard uh, with everything that they are. They're still just curious and inquiring and self-preserving. Jesus continues, okay, you want me to give you the bread always. Here it is. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the bread that you're hungry for. I am the bread that satisfies your enduring hunger. I am the bread that gives you eternal life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And you hear the echoes of all the Old Testament longing about hungering and thirsting, and Isaiah saying, come everybody to, to come to God, everyone. You don't have to have money. You can come and eat. You can feast. You can drink of the waters of life. Whoever comes to me will not hunger, and whoever believes in me will never thirst. So, where do we get the bread to go? Where do we get the bread for our journey? Where do we get the bread that will satisfy us in this life? And where do we get the bread that will feed us eternally when this body no longer takes breath? What is our response this morning to the bread of life who stands before us, who offers himself to us once again, saying, Moses fed you, but God today feeds you. The crowd still doesn't believe. They hesitate. Jesus invites. He says, if you'll move towards me, if you'll hang around me, if you'll follow me, and if you'll believe in me, this will result in the satisfaction of the deepest hunger that you have. And sometimes it's even in that very moment that we realize that we had that hunger in the first place. You know, when Jesus says that, going, I'm the bread of life. Each victory of belief in our midst is at play here. Sometimes we celebrate very properly the first time someone believes in Jesus. But it's just as much of a miracle. It's the work of God just as much on the 47th year of your belief, of my belief, when sometimes it's harder, when sometimes we have assimilated tons and tons of data to the contrary of believe in Jesus. So sometimes leaning our weight on those days is even harder than when we're five or when we're 15. But no matter when it is, it's always grace-filled and it's always a miracle. And it's always a possibility. So we have Jesus' call for us to believe. And I think also we have the promise of the ability of Jesus to come good on his promise. To come good on his side of the deal. To deliver on the promise of life for those of us who may believe. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.